Welcome to the Audible. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman, and it is game week. There are college football games this weekend, and we're joined now by a man who's going to be calling one of them every week for you, and that is Fox Sports lead college football analyst, Joel Klatt. Joel, you ready for this? I am so ready. Can we please get through the preseason? I thought the NFL preseason was painful. Months and months of just talking about nothing is equally as painful. <laughs> yeah, at least they play preseason games to watch. We just talk. Exactly. There's like stuff to actually, hey, this guy looks good in a game. Hey, this backup race is interesting. We're just continually sitting here like, well, if DeAndre Francois is any good, then watch out for Florida State. <laughs> okay, so Joel, what what is the thing that we have kind of bandied about and bantered about most that you are most curious to see actually unfold this fall? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mentioned that one. I think the, the things that are most interesting to me are the unknowns because all of us tend to believe that there's about eight teams in the country that are good enough to win the national championship. And outside of that, it would be a real dark horse um, to, to creep up and get into that mix. But even with all of those eight teams, you run down the list, all of them have major question marks. You know, there's not that team that like we saw last year in Ohio state, that was just clearly the number one team, in the country, all those returning great players. And they were making a run until they got knocked off by Michigan state. You can go down the list, Alabama, major issues at running back center and quarterback Clemson, their entire defense, they're having to replace Florida State, complete unknown at quarterback with a great roster around them. LSU, there's always going to be questions surrounding whether they can throw the ball and not just give it to Leonard Fournette. Tennessee's 0-24 in their last 24 against top 10 opponents. You go down the list, Stanford's replacing a quarterback. Notre Dame with all of their issues off the field. Ohio State's the least experienced team in the country. I mean, guys, those are the powers this year. And, and I just listed off a, a myriad of issues that would make anybody nervous. So for me, that's clearly the most interesting part in enter, entering the season is who answers their question the quickest. And one of those teams you mentioned, and I saw on our college football preview show, you picked them to win the national championship, and that's Alabama. Um, so they have a quarterback question again, and I think – most of us at this point are inclined to say, well, they can put whoever out there and they'll be fine after the last two seasons. But I know I'm intrigued and surprised a little bit at the possibility that Nick Saban may play and maybe even start a true freshman at some point here in Jalen Hurts. Is Usually that's a bad sign for a team, Do you, but you seem to feel they can, they can manage that. Well, I, they certainly can manage it. Um, now, the true freshman angle is, is, yes, very odd because what we have seen is he's taken experienced players that have been in the system, that have respect in the locker room, and Lane has been able to turn them into very adequate, uh, adequate passers uh, to the po- point that Coker last year was guys borderline sensational in the national championship game. Um, the true freshman angle is a little bit, I, I was fully expecting it was going to be Cooper Bateman and we'll see, you know, what kind of transpires over the first part of the season. They have earned the, the, the respect enough to, to say that regardless of their question marks, you have to give them the benefit of the doubt. Um, that's why I put them as, as my national champion is that with, with any number of questions at everybody around them, 
they're the ones that answer those with a resounding uh, positive outcome uh, more so than anybody else. Looking at it this way, I mean, have you, I don't want to say bought in because that's not fair, but you know, you kind of joked about this a little bit on our, on our preview show about being probably one of the people who maybe, maybe wasn't the first guy to be, yeah, I'm going to give Alabama the benefit of the doubt. What's the biggest thing that you, you look at? Is it a reflection of the rest of the conference or the rest of college football or, or what yeah. about, what's your perspective has changed maybe a little bit on the tide th- at this point? Well, I, I think it's, it's probably a little bit of both. Um, you know how I feel about what I would call like the myth of the SEC, you know, and, and the problem is, is that is Alabama great? Yes. Is LSU really good? Yes. Is Ole Miss pretty good? Tennessee pretty good? Yeah, they're pretty good. But the, the fact that everyone argues that this top to bottom strength of their conference is so much better than everybody else's is just false. I mean, you look at their record, what Arkansas did last year, they, they beat Ole Miss and they were losing to teams like Texas tech and, and Akron, if I'm not mistaken, or, or one of those teams. So I tend to push against the quote unquote myth of the, the sec with that being said, because it's not as what I would call a, a tremendously deep conference, great teams like Alabama have a real shot to go through it. Plus they've got the benefit of playing an eight conference game schedule versus a nine conference game schedule. They have the benefit of, of having a, a, a very unique type of schedule that allows them to have bye weeks and, and very easy games before their major uh, tests. So when I'm looking at, Sorry, guys. I'm, I'm in the midst of some construction here, and I've got to run away from it if you don't mind. Um, but those are the issues, Bruce, is that they've earned that respect because of their success, the fact that I don't think their conference is quite as tough as everybody says it is, and year in and year out, it doesn't matter who their quarterback is. They just continue to churn out quality seasons. There are a lot of big games this weekend. In fact, watching the Cal-Hawaii game the other night, ESPN made sure to remind us at every commercial break that it is the greatest oh, weekend ever. Oh, by the way, hey, I, I'm sorry, and I don't want to sit here and just take shots, but you got to give, give me a break. You talk about not giving the game on the field the respect that it deserves. I mean, that, that, was, that was borderline, gosh, that was, I don't, that was appalling that broadcast. It didn't go down to the game and they just sat there and talked about the SEC the entire time. They didn't know who was on the field. They weren't following the action. That was brutal. That was absolutely brutal. I was all excited to watch college football and I got some ridiculous rinky dink high school broadcast. That was a, that was an aberration. I was so frustrated with that. Yeah. A lot of people noticed that myself included. Now they, the, 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 Play-by-play and the analysts were not there. They were in Bristol, and frankly, I can't really say I blame ESPN for not wanting to pay the money to produce a game from Australia. But well, and like a you lot said, of that more the content. sits on the Pac-12. The Pac-12 said, like, isn't this going to be great? And they gave us a game that didn't include two Power 5 teams. You know, so Fox and ESPN, with all of our budget constraints, we're going to jump at the chance to go down there. And the Pac-12 can't put it on their own network because nobody sees it. So 
it was equal parts at fault. I don't necessarily blame ESPN. I understand it from a business standpoint, you know, but the Pac-12 shares in some of that responsibility. I was just frustrated for those kids. I mean, that's an experience that they, that should have really been, you know, unique and, and, and outlined a little bit better from a, from a television partner standpoint. But the, the actual broadcast was just so bad. It was so bad. It, it was like they didn't even prepare for the players that were going to play. I was so frustrated. Okay, so you can give us a little insight to this because you call games. Um, I assume you go into – oh, wait, let me back up a second and clarify. I assume you when you said no Power 5 teams, you you didn't mean that Cal wasn't a Power 5 team. Two Power 5 teams. Yeah. No, no, no. It wasn't a Power 5 matchup. I got I meant, you. Gotcha. So there was a Power 5 and a group of five. So okay, you, Stu, you go, go back. into a game, you probably have some – filler material ready in case the game's a blowout. But this wasn't a blowout until, I mean, I remember a 17-14, and they were analyzing the Big Ten race. How does that happen? Like, is that coming, do you think that's coming from a producer, or is that something that you well, would yeah, produce? Well, yeah, it's extraordinarily weak production and weak on the play-by-play part. Um, because there was a lot of that that didn't need to go into. I felt bad. I think it was Mike Bellotti that was the color was, announcer, yeah. and he's normally normally much better than that. And but he's got to answer the questions that are asked of him. I don't know who the play by play guy was. I'm sure he's an he's a nice guy. He was good at his craft, but I just and and that's the other thing is when you're not there and you're in a sterile environment, it's much easier to just go down a tangent. Um, the, the producer has got to keep you keep you honest in, in that respect. But yeah, there were times during the game when you know there there are drives that are meaningful that Hawaii is 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 driving to get within a score to get within two possessions, still in the early third quarter, and they're you know rattling off nice long runs, getting inside the twenty, inside the ten, and they still were talking about the SEC. I just I was appalled. Uh, guys, I was absolutely appalled. And and to get back to your question, Stuart, I don't even remember what it was. I don't. <laughs> well, you're talking about filler material oh, okay. and actually doing a doing a game. So I don't prepare filler material. I prepare for every. I, I just get as much information about the teams, the game, the conference, the conferences around the country. I, I picture our broadcast as a college football broadcast. And if the game deems it, you know, you can go down any road that you that you want to. We never choose to say, hey, we got to use our filler material here. It's just you, you go down the roads that that are essentially afforded you. And like I said, I don't want to turn this into I'm sure someone's going to say, oh, you know, he's taken off on ESPN. I just I just didn't feel like it did it justice to the players. Um, we tried a remote broadcast last year. I felt like it was equally as bad. So I'll get on our own case about that. Uh, I just don't think that you can do the game and the players and those programs justice by sitting in a, sitting in a sterile studio thousands of miles away. In this case, I mean, what, shoot, how many thousand miles away? 10,000, 15, I don't know how many miles, but it was just, you know, it was too bad. I was so excited to watch that. I was excited to see Davis Webb. I was excited to see Hawaii and, and, you know, if they were getting better. And, and what I got was essentially like a studio preview show with a game in the background. And, and it was a, it was a frustrating existence for, for a college football fan. Well, that was a really poorly produced game. 
while we're on that subject, Joel, this isn't a, a, a path I was thinking of going, but you mentioned cost cutting that's coming. Obviously, the contracts are big and the expenses are, are, are big as well. I mean, as a person who works in the industry, I mean, you're outlining some of the some of the negatives that certainly go with it. Do you think this is a road we're going to see a lot more from uh, from major networks as as we move forward on these cost cutting issues? I hope not. I think that you're going to get watered down versions of of um, game telecasts. For instance, you know, regional part of the problem is that national networks have no idea how to scale back from what they used to be. It's like the family that made a lot of money their entire lives. And then all of a sudden, the, you know, somebody loses their job and they don't understand how to pare down, right? Cause their lifestyle is such that it takes a lot of money for them to live. Well, these national networks and broadcast networks, they have a hard time, paring down what they've always done. Um, it's just kind of a part of them to, to do a broadcast a certain way and with a certain budget. Meanwhile, regional television and regional sports networks have done very cheap broadcasts for years because they've had to. So they're the lower income family that's lived on a budget their entire lives and they understand how to live. And if they would, if the national networks would just take a page out of the regional networks, for instance, learn how to do a, a five or six camera show. Okay, so is it as good as a, a Saturday night primetime broadcast television game? No, it's not. But at least you're there. You know, these you can do that. You know, watch a high school football game, and yeah, it's not the production that you would like to get, but at least they're there. Um, and I think things like that would be much better than just having wholesale changes and say, we're going to go do it from Bristol or do it from Los Angeles in the studio. I think you could probably spend a similar amount of money, get a cheaper, much cheaper version of an entire production truck and do a five or six camera show that would do the game and the players a lot more justice than sitting in the studio and talking about the SEC and the big 10 over a PAC 12 and what is it? Mountain West or wherever Hawaii is uh, game going on in, in Australia. And to be fair, this was obviously a very unusual situation to have a game in Australia. The ones that Fox did last year, you mentioned, were at Conference USA stadiums. I think the fans would get really irate if they started doing, either network started doing remote broadcasts of a, you know, Big 12 conference game or whatever, you know, like a, 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 a fairly significant um, broadcast. I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. Um, I, Let's hope know, not. Yeah. How did I get down this? T- oh, big games this weekend. Um, you're calling the Kansas State-Stanford Friday night game, and I promise we will get to that in a minute. But, um, you know, the games that ESPN was touting, the big games this weekend, which one are you most looking forward to? Um, I, I'm, I'm a little bit more of a meaningful game guy rather than just like sexy matchup. So everyone's pointing, you know, everyone's pointing to Alabama USC. I don't think Alabama USC is going to be much of a game. I just don't think USC is good enough uh, right now, in particular on their defensive line. And so I don't think that's all that of important of a game. I think a game that's much more important, in particular to the Pac-12, and the one that I'm most interested in, is Texas A&M hosting UCLA. Because let me point it out to you like this. 
the Pac-12 is already on the chopping block in terms of public perception. People are saying, hey, they don't quite have that great team. You know their structure makes it more difficult with nine conference games, so on and so forth. Their best team, Stanford, has a horrendously difficult first six. There's a good chance that the Pac-12 might be left out for the, for, for the second straight season out of the playoff. So if that's the public perception already, then you can't have one of your division favorites go to a middling SEC West team and lose. So for those reasons, and it's much more of a, a you know, overarching reason of, of Pac-12 and SEC quote-unquote supremacy, that matchup to me is the most important of the weekend. Um, I think the other matchup that I'm really looking forward to is Houston-Oklahoma because that's going to put Houston potentially, if they were to win that game, on a trajectory to have one more real difficult game against Louisville, and then you could finally see a group of five team knock the door, knock the wall down into the playoff in its third year. So those two games I think are the most interesting, and they're the most meaningful for the outcome of a national champion. Uh, just because of all the perceptions that go into uh, and subjectivity that goes into getting our four playoff teams. I want to ask you about a different game, and it's the game that's going to have a Sunday all by itself. You did some Texas games last year. Uh, they played Notre Dame in the opener last year, got blown off the field. There's there's a lot of, I would say, optimism about Texas in year three for Charlie Strong. He shook up the offense again. They've benefited from from Baylor's issues and gotten some some more more uh, touted recruits and players in there. What are your expectations from them, not just in this Notre Dame game, but in 2016? Yeah, I'm I, I'm a little bit more skeptical, Bruce, than most when it comes to Texas. Um, because I, I feel like I've seen this song and dance before. Hey, we got our quarterback. This is the guy. This is the guy that's going to be our next Vince Young or Colt McCoy. And, you know, we've seen it not pan out time after time after time. Um, I get a little nervous for Charlie because I feel like the, the offensive philosophy that he's always been successful with as a defensive-oriented coach has been more of a ball control running offense. That's what he was successful with as the defensive coordinator for Florida when they had Tim Tebow. Yeah, it was a spread, but that was a running offense. Uh, And then when he was successful at Louisville, they were very much pro style, Teddy Bridgewater. Let me give you some stats to back that up. In their great years at Louisville, their defense was seeing between 51 and 48 plays per, per game on average. Well, in the last couple of years at Texas, they were seeing on average 69 to 75 plays per game. So philosophically, his defensive structure is not necessarily meant to bear that type of weight. You know, that he's not like an Oregon that's always been um, able to, you know, weather 80 snaps per game defensively and still be able to win games. So philosophically, I have my questions. Quarterback-wise, everyone's saying Bouchelle is going to be the, the second coming. I have my questions. We'll see about Texas, but nothing in the last couple of years has, has told me that they're about ready to turn the corner. They continually lose close games and games that they shouldn't. Uh, meanwhile, Notre Dame, I think the, the questions surrounding all the, the suspensions and also the two-quarterback system, they're talented, man. I thought they were as talented as anybody in the country last year when I saw them at Stanford, even in a loss. So uh, I'm, I'm interested to see how Brian Kelly can kind of restock after this late camp shuffle. I think that's reasonable for Texas, although Bruce and I are much higher on them. And I just want to be sure that's 
your feelings about Texas don't have to do with the fact that they um, ended your college career in um, um, less than <laughs> ideal circumstances. No, cer- certainly not. Um, if that was the case, then I would have to hate a lot of teams because a lot of teams <laughs> beat us. Um, okay, so you mentioned, obviously, you touched on Oklahoma with the Houston game. Looking ahead a little bit, you know, you guys are going to have, you and Gus are going to have a huge game week three, Ohio State, Oklahoma. Curious your thoughts on the Buckeyes. I believe you saw them here in this offseason, obviously replacing a whole bunch of talented guys, and and some people think they'll be just fine, and some people think, that, you know, they're going to take a step back. Yeah, I mean, at programs like that, I think I'm, I'm, a, I'm inclined more to, to give them the benefit of the doubt when it comes to inexperience because all of their stars at one point were inexperienced. Um, talking with Urban when I was out there in, in Columbus, and he said this team reminds him a whole lot of, of 2014 in that they're a bit of, you know, keep their head down, work very hard each and every day to try to get better, and eventually that team just continued to get better, continued to get better, continued to get better, and all of a sudden they won a national championship. Um, I think JT Barrett is a really special player. I really do. If he plays to his ability, that's going to give everybody around him um, the, the opportunity and the space to grow and to learn and to mature. Um, they're very talented, not quite what they were a year ago, but I thought that they were the most talented team in the country a year ago. Um, and then the last thing I would say for, for Ohio State, and I believe in Ohio State, I'm going to pick Michigan in the Big Ten because I think Michigan's really good, but Ohio State's going to be right there. And, and the thing about Urban is that he's a great coach on the road and true road games and with inexperienced teams. And I think both of those things actually go hand in hand. Because what you're doing when you're taking a team on, the, on a true road environment is you're preparing them for something that they've never experienced before, right? Like every true road environment is a little different than the other. You can't prepare the same way. Um, they all feel a little bit different, whether it's, you know, weather or noise or ever, everything is different, guys. And it's, it's an experience that, you know, I, I certainly know well having, having played the game. So preparing someone for an experience that they – that they've never experienced and preparing an inexperienced team is very similar. Well, he's 18 and 0 on true red games. The guy is great in those environments. So if there's a team that I would expect to exceed some expectations, it would be Ohio state, even though they're uh, incredibly inexperienced. Let me stay on them for a second, by the way, just look, look back. Uh, when we were in Chicago for Big Ten Media Days, Urban was asked if he ever had a team anywhere near as inexperienced. And he mentioned one Florida team, but that 2014 team actually had 12 returning starters, which is twice as many as this group. They had seven guys back yeah. on defense. Obviously, it was the offensive line that was really young and, and really got a lot better. Just from your perspective as a former player, the biggest areas where inexperience comes back to bite a team is it a lack of consistency or focus what where do you think it shows up the most i i think it's the lack of consistency you know the top end plays for anybody at this level are all really great in particular with a team like ohio state but it's it's the bad plays see i think football is a weak link sport um, have you guys heard of the, you know, I know Malcolm Gladwell talks a lot about this in one of his podcasts, um, but strong link, weak link arguments like basketball is a strong link sport. 
it matters more how, how good your best player is versus how good your worst player is. Well, in football, I believe that it's a weak link sport. It matters more how good your worst player is, and it matters more what your floor is as a team, right? So what your consistency level is. If you're, if you're great four plays in a row, but then just horrendous for a play and it backs you up to first and 15, then you can't overcome that. Whereas experienced teams generally are very consistent and methodical and they can move the ball down the field. They play defense to the point where they don't give up many big plays. If you're giving up big plays and you're having a lot of minus plays uh, on offense, though, that's where the inconsistency. So for me, Bruce, it's been my experience as a player that inconsistency is the biggest hindrance when it comes to inexperience. So Friday night, Stanford stadium, I'll be there. You guys will be there. Um, Kansas state Stanford. I'm looking forward to it for many reasons, but um, you know, obviously Stanford's breaking in a new quarterback. That's a source of intrigue. Frankly, I don't think anybody has any idea what to expect from Kansas state, good or bad. Uh, but obviously, Christian McCaffrey is the headliner. How, do, in your opinion, how does a guy who's just broken Barry Sanders' record and is now, you know, arguably the biggest celebrity in college football, deal with the weight of those expectations? Because now people are going to expect him to come out and do something even greater. Yeah, and and that's going to be our fault, not his. You know, he could be. Let's just put it this way. I know he's a better player. He's faster. He's he's leaner. I saw him practice. Um, he's going to be smarter. He's going to be more experienced, all those areas. And if he doesn't put up the same numbers, we're all going to say, oh, he's not as good this year. And that's just so lazy and our fault as media. And the problem for McCaffrey is that he got so much run this off season and so many people saying, Hey, he probably should have won the Heisman trophy that people are going to want to take shots at him very much. The Andrew Luck. Um, phenomenon when everyone knew he was the best quarterback in the country or the Peyton Manning phenomenon, you know, he's the best quarterback in the country. And so everyone just wants to tear him down and make arguments to why he's not the greatest and this and that. So he's going to have a difficult year from that standpoint. If he can just keep his head down and be successful, then, then they'll be all right. But he's not going to have the quarterback. People are going to focus on him. Bryce Love's going to have to have a, a, a big year. They're going to have to do some things in the passing game. Trent Irwin is a guy that I think is going to have to have a big year or a guy they're tight ends uh, as well. So to answer your question, what can he do is not pay attention to us. Cause inevitably in particular from some of the East coast riders that we've been banging on that they didn't do their jobs last year, which they didn't in the Heisman trophy race. Um, they're going to want to take shots at Christian. And if he can just not pay attention to that, I think that would be the best way to start. I, I want to end with this. Uh, people don't realize, Joel, or many people don't realize that before you were the Colorado quarterback, you were a uh, minor league baseball player. And we, yeah. we saw, okay, and the other thing is, I hear you go on the Jay and Dan podcast, that's our uh, Canadian uh, anchors on FS1, and tell these epic stories from your minor league baseball career. So th- this yeah. is be a strange tie-in, but Tim Tebow is trying out for uh, – he wants to do that. He wants to, to start a baseball career. He's apparently going to try out. And I was hoping you could give him a little – because we know he listens to this podcast, obviously – a little glimpse of what he has to look forward to. If you could recount maybe like a abbreviated version, the story of – what was it? Nickel Beer Night? Um, am I remembering oh, that correctly? Battle. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, dude, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell the story, but it's not for Tim Tebow because I think he's completely arrogant and selfish for trying to do what he does. And quite frankly, he's, he's behaved like that for a long time. The whole speech at Florida had more eyes than it did teams and wees. Uh, as a backup in the NFL, he talked about how much he wanted to start as a backup. You never hear backups talking about how much they want to start. Uh, and now all of a sudden he was given the chance to go to Canada and was told by NFL ex- executives and personnel that, Hey, if you want to play football in the NFL, which was your quote unquote dream for so long, or at least that's what you said publicly, then you need to go to Canada and, and, and work it out. And he was afforded that opportunity and, and said no, because he had other things to do, like be on TV. And now all of a sudden he wants to go and just kind of jump into a baseball career. I don't think it's right. I don't think it's, it's very fair to the minor league baseball players that are actually banging around and are actually quality players. The screams of publicity and arrogance and narcissism. Um, and it frustrates me because this guy preaches that he's everything else, but that's all his actions actually say and do. In particular, his trade away from the Denver Broncos, which I know on good authority, he had the opportunity and it was his choice to either go to Jacksonville and compete for the starting quarterback job or go to New York and be in the New York media market, which was not going to be a competition to be the starting quarterback. And, and John Elway gave him both trades and said, I'll do either one. I don't really care where I send you. I just signed Peyton Manning, so I'll send you wherever you want to go. He chose to go to New York. Then after the fact, he goes out there and publicly said, I wasn't involved in the trade and Elway just traded me wherever he wanted. And so people started getting on Elway's case. They're like, Hey, why didn't you trade him to a place where he could go and play when all along it was Tebow's decision of where he wanted to go, which was a major media market. This guy is a media hound. He wants attention. And that's what this move screams of. If you want to be a minor league baseball player, if you want to be a professional baseball player, then you got to go to the lowest levels. You got to go to Missoula, Montana, you got to go to Medicine Hat, Canada. You got to go to Ogden, Utah, and you got to be the beer batter. And here's where I'll get back to the story because in in a game in Ogden, Utah against the Ogden Osprey, I was the beer batter. They chose one batter from the opposing team, and if that batter struck out, then beers were a nickel for the next ten minutes. And so every time That's I came up to bat, the entire crowd, it's a great promotion. Only in the minor leagues, it was wonderful. So every time Bruce, I came up to bat everyone would be on their feet, you know, clapping, like rhythmic clapping, like, come on, like you can do it. Strike out for us. <laughs> of course, you don't want to strike out as the beer batter. So you're trying your hardest, but turns out first at bat, I swing through a slider and I strike out. Place kind of, hey, everyone hits me, you know, the aisles and they, they head upstairs for their 10 cent beer. So now the, the next at bat rolls around and they're a little louder because they're like, hey, man, this guy already, you know, that's the fourth inning. And hey, he already gave us one beer. Come on, you can do it again. You can do it again. And lo and behold, I stare at strike three on the outside <laughs> corner and get rung up. Bang. Yay! <laughs> you know, they hit the aisles and, and head up for 10 cent beers. Well, I didn't realize this, but if you take the sombrero, and strike out three times, then they give you beers for free. And this is like the seventh inning when they're supposed to be cut off. So now they can have free beers and they're all like four or five deep. And so, I mean, guys, it was 
really noisy when I stepped out of the dugout, not just go up to the plate. I'm on the on deck circle and they're like chanting, you can do it. You can do it. Uh, Everything in me is like, whatever you do, put the ball in play, like put it in play. Do not strike out a third time and take the sombrero as the beer batter. So I go up first pitch, fastball, bang. And I squared it up pretty hard inside corner and I square it up and it looks like a line drive. That's going to kind of just, just sneak in and, and be fair for like a double. And it just lands foul. And I'm like, Oh, son of a, bitch. Oh. so now I'm owing one slider on the outside, swing through it. And now I'm owing two. And I'm like, whatever you do, foul it off, put it in like bunt, do whatever <laughs> you can. And I swung through a split finger, bang, strike three, place goes bananas, bananas. They were throwing empty cups onto the, onto the field as I like walked into the dugout because no beer batter had taken the sombrero until I showed up in Ogden, Utah, <laughs> and they all got free beers. There's probably like 50 DUIs in Ogden, Utah that, that night. Uh, let me ask you one thing, just back to Tebow, since you played baseball and you, and you had a, you had, uh, the perspective of being a quarterback and, and, and having success in both sports, how, give me a percent chance of, that he could actually make it zero, zero, zero. You think the only way he, he gets signed somewhere is for publicity by a, publicity. By a baseball team? 100%, 100%. There is zero chance that after that many years, I have a better chance. I have better baseball skills than that guy. Um, he was an effort-based, try-hard player who really liked attention. And those things are not afforded you in baseball, in particular in the minor leagues. There's no attention, nobody covering you, and it, it is the furthest thing from an effort-based, try-hard sport. It is all skill base. There is a minimum amount of skill required and it is period. Um, you succeed or you don't, it's a fail based sport. It's not a success based sport. Um, there's no amount of hustling that can help you. You either hit the ball or you don't. And that is the furthest thing from him that I could possibly imagine. Uh, I don't know how he's going to react. I don't know if anyone's going to sign him. If they do, it is 1,000% for attention and publicity. There is no amount of skill that he has as a baseball player that would warrant a professional baseball contract. Do you think there's a guy out there who is a football player, and I can't think of one off the top of my head, who was maybe a high-round draft pick who went the football route, is 28 or 29, you know, had been basically been away from it for No, not after being away from it. Football, you can come back to baseball. You can't Bruce. I'm just, I mean, I, I'm just telling you, you can't, I mean, all time greats, you know, you can't take a year off. You can't take two years off 12, and go back. 12 and years it, it, I mean, this is 12 years and it wasn't like he was a professional at that point, or even a, like a really good college player. Everyone's like, well, he was really good in high school. Well, join the, you know, 10 million other really good high school players. Like this is the cream of the crop. People have no idea how hard it is to make it in baseball exponentially harder to make it in baseball than it is to make it, uh, in, in, uh, in football. 
Joel, Joel, just one other thing. You, since you you were in camp, I remember you had a Tony Gwynn story, you had a Ricky Henderson story. How big is the gap for people who don't know between being a a solid double A player and being on a major league team? Um, pretty wide. Um, I, I, it's interesting because once you get there, you realize that the best level in the minor leagues is, is double a, because that's where all the great prospects are. So that's where like all the really, really talented red shirt freshmen are that, you know, are going to be stars. Meanwhile, the utility move them up and down back into the roster players are in triple a. Because they move back and forth all summer. Do you, are you following me? Mm-hmm. So it's not like I would say double A baseball is better than triple A baseball. Um, you, you know, so double A is as close to the big leagues as you're going to get, but you just get a lot of inconsistency. You don't get as many strikes thrown, things of that nature. The jump, you know, to make it to double A, bona fide double A baseball is. Well, first of all, you got to take in consideration the percentage of chance that you're even going to be a professional, even in rookie ball, is is minute. And then there's, you know, even a small like two percent of those guys even make it to double A. And then of those guys, another two percent of those guys actually have big league careers. The filtration process for Major League Baseball is obscene, and and the difficulty in making it and the gap between those levels is great. Uh, it's a much greater, much greater gap from rookie ball to the big leagues than it is from major college football to the NFL. Okay. Well, I think we should uh, wrap, but w- before we do, we want to, uh, we mentioned you can see Joel on Friday night on our big Fox sports one game, uh, K state and at Stanford, but Joel also has a Facebook live show that we uh, debuted on Thursdays, but it's going to be on Tuesday nights all season, correct? That's right. Tuesday night, it's going to be on at 4.30 Pacific, 7.30 Eastern on Facebook Live. And, uh, yeah, we got through some of our glitches in our first one uh, last week, Bruce, and this week we'll be much more interactive and we'll get better and better. And I think people are really going to like it. And, Stu, you'll obviously join us at some point uh, during the season as well. So I'm looking forward to that, a real solid football medium to just – talk about uh, issues and things uh, with a number of different people. I think it's going to be great. I, I, you know, we are, we are all in on Facebook live this season. I think it'd be a good way for um, people to interact with us and vice versa and really delve deep into the stories of the week more so than you can probably do in a two minute segment on television or, or whatever other um, mediums we might be trying to use. So, that's with right. That, with that, uh, we thank you very much, Joel. Thank you for your time. You got it. I know I wasn't opinionated at all about some of those things. Yeah, yeah no one's going to pay attention to those Tebow comments. Yeah, so. you're going to. Yeah, I don't know exactly. if you're going to have the wrath of the Tebow supporters or and, all the Tebow haters, or you're going to be their new best friend. And lest we forget, there's going to be a lot of ESPN people who aren't going to oh, yeah. be thrilled. Right. Making friends everywhere you I go. Bet. Well, you know, if they hate honesty, then I guess they can hate me. <laughs> That's a good bumper sticker. All right. That is a good bumper sticker. Good call, Bruce. Thank you. This should be somebody's political campaign slogan. Hey, love you guys. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, thanks. Joel. All right, Stu, it's that time of uh, the podcast that all or, well, a few of our listeners always seem to love. 
and it's the promo. So here we go. Stu, SeatGeek is always the first place I would go to look for tickets if I was going to a game or a concert. I mean, there's great buzz about this business. I know that all the people I work with at Fox, they seem to have the SeatGeek app on their phones. And, you know, I heard one of the people in the office saying they just used it the other day for some uh, Megadeth concert they went to or something. Everything about SeatGeek <laughs> is designed to make life easier for sports and music fans. SeatGeek does all the price comparison for you by searching multiple ticket sites and ensuring that you get the best possible deal. SeatGeek does all the work and you save the time and the money. And SeatGeek wants to help you get the most bang for your buck. That's pretty nice of them, and that's too. Uh, that's why every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value. You immediately see an underpriced seats and be able to find the best deals that fit your budget. Best of all, our listeners will get $20 rebates off their first SeatGeek purchase. So here's what you do. Download the SeatGeek app, go to settings tab and click add a promo code, enter promo code audible, and SeatGeek will send you $20 after you made your first ticket ticket purchase. Download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code AUDIBLE today. Didn't realize you were such a Megadeth fan. I'm not, but I think some people in our in our uh, Playa office are. So. Which I, I actually had to look it up to see that, yes, they are, in fact, still active and probably on tour. Uh, you know, it's been 20 years, though, since uh, killing is my business and business is good. Peace sells, but who's buying? Rust in peace, and of course, my personal favorite Megadeth album, Countdown to Extinction. Um, apparently, they are not extinct yet. We are also sponsored by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. They proudly support the Audible. Rocket Mortgage brings the mortgage approval process into the 21st century. Fast, powerful, and completely online, Rocket Mortgage has taken all the complicated, time-consuming parts of applying for a mortgage out of the equation. Hate searching through stacks of old files and paperwork? With Rocket Mortgage, you can easily share your bank statements and pay stubs at the touch of a button, helping you get approved in minutes for a custom mortgage solution that's been tailored to your unique financial situation. And even better, with Rocket Mortgage, you can do all of this on your phone or tablet. It's a quick online process that you can manage from the convenience of your couch. So, if you're looking to refinance your mortgage or buy a home, check out Rocket Mortgage today at quickenloans.com slash audible very uh, smooth still thank you so there was one bit of news from the weekend i wanted to get into um miami and miami fans are not happy with me about this tweet where i said miami has fallen so far off the radar that two of its best players can be uh, under investigation for violation of ncaa rules and no i mean that did not make national news i don't think that anybody i think outside it was of news, miami knew but it. I think news it was- in miami Anyway, they're gone. They're dismissed. Miami, um, without its, I mean, would you say, I mean, definitely their best defensive player and also their leading returning tackler from last season. And also, um, we're not 100% sure yet that their top receiver, Stacey Coley, who's also being investigated, was about uh, use of luxury rental cars. He's not necessarily 100% in the clear yet either. Yeah, let's fill in some of the gaps. So Quad Muhammad, that's their who was their leading pass rusher last year. Jermaine Grace, a really fast, uh, strong side linebacker, made a bunch of tackles last year. You know, if this was Brad Kaya, it would have been a lot bigger news. I think this is a function of 
And look, I you know I wrote a book on Miami. I'm not going to take issue with what you what you just said. I think Miami fans are sensitive to it because there's a lot of frustration that they have been off the radar for close to the last ten years, and it's going to take uh, some big wins over some bigger teams for people to pay more attention. And they're not there yet. Uh, We'll see how it goes. I mean, they're going to be really young on defense, especially at linebacker. From the people I talked to down there inside the program, they are pretty excited about some of the young players. So now my guess is uh, you will probably have to see more of of Trent Harris, and I think you'll see probably more of Demetrius Jackson on the at defensive end as far as replacing Jermaine Grace. We'll see uh, – the big big headliner there, Shaq Quarterman, is a true freshman middle linebacker everybody's raves about. They have Mike Pinckney, who is a, another fast linebacker. And then the other one who now will probably replace Grace is Zach McLeod. He's not quite as fast, but he is a very physical guy. So, I so think will they be starting some pieces to work with. Will they be starting three freshman linebackers. They could, yeah. And if they're they, I think they will be. Now there's another guy in there who's a redshirt freshman, Jamie Gordoner, who is uh, you know has good sizes in a Jersey kid. This is a pretty athletic and pretty you know talented group of young linebackers, which is more than I can say for some of the guys that they've you know that they trotted out there on the Al Golden days. Uh, as far as defensive line. The guy I think everyone is very curious to see what he can do is Chad Thomas because he came in as a five-star recruit. I remember seeing him at the opening. He was a guy that a lot of people were buzzing about. He hadn't done too much yet, and we'll see what uh, Craig Kuligowski, that's the old Missouri D-line coach who has a really good rep, can do with those guys. I mean, again, I'm with you. I think they're probably an eight-win team, maybe a seven-win team, depending on how well the offensive line comes together. But – you know, again, this is, I think, a couple of key things to add on to this also, because Miami is on probation that as part of this investigation, that they had determined that no no staff or anybody else was connected to this. So it was just these players are dismissed, and we'll see how it unfolds for them going forward. I think Mark Richt will do a great job there in the long term, but in the short What's term. What's a great job, Stu? He's got to win the ACC. That's not, you know, I'm sorry. I, I go back to this old standard. Great job at Miami as you win a national title. Do you think Mark Rick's going to win a national title? I don't. I don't either. Uh, I think he'll do a good job. Good job means win the ACC. Great job means you win the national title. Well, there's some Miami fans, and albeit probably a very delusional fringe, who seem to think that because they're Miami – they're always in position to be a national title every single year, and they just didn't have the right coach for the last 10 years. So now they have a good coach, and they're going to be really good. I don't think he inherited much. I mean, obviously he inherited a great quarterback in Brad Kaya. I just don't think he has a lot to work with in terms of offensive skill players, um, no depth up front on defense. And so losing these key guys on top of that makes me fairly pessimistic for his first season. That doesn't mean he's never going to have a good season there. Um, yeah, I mean, he does, look, he does inherit some good running backs. I don't know if they have a ton of depth at receiver, um, and I think the offensive line needs some work. But, what is it uh, about Miami, by the way? You would know this better than anybody. What is it about Miami that these extra benefits things keep happening? I mean, th- this is I, – I think we're not naive. We know that players are getting things at many places around the country, but there seems to be 
This seems to be a, a semi. You're in a big city still. You're in a big city that is. Shouldn't that make it easier to not get caught? Uh, yeah, I think the other thing, and this is what came back to bite him with the Nevin Shapiro stuff. Unlike almost almost every other big program, Miami doesn't have a ton of big money boosters, and they're not organic, meaning they're like third generation or fourth generation people who, no matter what, are going to protect the program. I mean, Nevin Shapiro was not a Miami he was not a Miami guy, and that came back to bite them. I mean, you have other places that have plenty of shady boosters, but they are not going to cause problems willfully so i think that adds to it and apparently this all started because muhammad was putting pictures on instagram of himself driving all these luxury cars so um that's where it began look if you go to a lot of big time football programs and you go in the parking lot you are going to see some some cars that may raise some eyebrows or how are these players driving these cars. I wonder if it maybe was even a situation of Miami ha- having to be more diligent than – I think that's part – that has to be part yeah. of it. I mean given the Nevin Shapiro situation, given the fact they're on probation, that maybe they had to – because this was not the NCA investigating. This was their the school's own compliance people um, kind of proactively taking care of this. Yeah. Hey, one last thing. You know, somebody asked us on the podcast last week about that game that uh, a reader initially proposed to us, where, and I think it's a really fun game if anybody wants to play along, where you take five teams who, if you add up their win totals from last season, no more than 40 combined wins. And then, you know, if you're in a pool with people doing this, whoever ends up with the most combined wins this season wins the pool. And uh, we actually did this, I want to say, in March, and I honestly don't remember who I picked or who you picked. I do remember that my strategy then was to pick five teams right around the eight-win mark, you know, and then and that you thought were going to be improved. I took a completely different strategy this time. I'm going high-low, high-risk, high-reward. Ready? All right. Let's hear it. All right. My my big name ones, Ohio State is going to get, you know, 12 wins from last year. It was interesting because you can't really take the playoff teams because they ended up winning 14, 13, 14 games, and that's too, you know, that's too much on one team. Ohio State, because they didn't even make their conference championship, I, I get the uh, the 12 wins. Florida State, 10 wins a year ago. I am picking them to win the national title, so obviously I think they're going to get uh, more than that this year. Uh, Michigan, 10 wins last year. So that's three double-digit win teams. So now you're saying, Stuart, how are you going to keep this under 40? Here's how. Five-win Nebraska. Okay. And three-win Georgia Tech. Okay. So I'm betting on those teams to be much improved. I thought you were going to take Washington, which only won, what did they win, seven? Uh, That would have been a good one, actually. Just in doing this now, I realize I messed up. Nebraska actually won six games last year because they got into the bowl game. So, oops, that's 41. Now what am I going to do? I think I would keep Nebraska and go find a nine-win team to replace 10-win Michigan. Talk about something for a second while I do that. Um, You know what team I would take if I were you? I would have taken UCF. They're a good value. I like Scott Frost. Yeah, you can't get more value than zero. Yeah. I mean, look, they're free basically. The problem is, even if they're very improved, they're still going to be what? What's the best case scenario for them? Okay, I'm going to go through their schedule for a second here. 
This South is Carolina. Gonna, how do you play this? Get you know you really know the American well enough to play the schedule game. I know it reasonably well. Okay, yeah, okay. and I talked to those UCF guys. I talked to. I certainly talked to the USF guys. I went to Houston. Yeah, I can. I can rattle this off decent. Okay. They're going to beat South Carolina State. They will lose at Michigan. I think they will lose at home to Maryland. I think they'll win at FIU. I don't think they'll win at ECU, so that makes them two and three. Beat Tulane at home, three and three. Lose to Temple at home, three and four. Lose to UConn, three and five on the road. Lose to Houston, three and six. Beat Cincinnati at home, because I think by then they'll be rolling four and six. Uh, Beat Tulsa, maybe, five and six, and then lose at UCF, five and seven. Okay, well, that's a nice improvement, and that's great for Scott Frost, but five wins is not going to help you win this pool, right? You need... Five teams that are going to win, hopefully, 10. I mean, he said in the email that the one who won the pool last year had 55. Yeah. All right, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm subbing out Michigan for nine-win Southern Miss from a year ago. Okay. I think they're the best team in that conference and could win. I mean, I haven't played that schedule game, but, you know, if they win the conference, win a, a bowl game, that could be an 11, 11-win-ish team. Okay. All right, so it's game week, and where are you going this week? I am going to Morgantown, West Virginia, which is a fun place to go for football Saturday. I got Mizzou against West Virginia. I think it's an underrated matchup. Now, I'll always say that for a game that we're doing, but it's SEC versus Big 12. I think you have one of the best uh, defensive linemen in the country, Charles Harris, against a good offensive line. Uh, it's an early game, which means I'll be able to watch a lot of the other games. I won't get to see the Houston-Oklahoma game, but I'll get to see most of everything else. How unfortunate, good. by the way, after you spent the last eight months hyping up Houston, that this is their big moment, and you're not going to be able to see it. I know. I know. And with and for me, with games, about the closest I can get to watching anything with a, or keeping up on a game is I can check Twitter every so often. To see, I remember I forgot what game I was at, but that's how I kind of kept tabs on Jacksonville State almost beating Auburn. But um, I will pay you hmm, a very large amount of money to do. Let's see, I will pay you a hundred dollars, two hundred dollars. I'll pay two hundred dollars if at halftime, whichever coach you get, Barry Odom or Dana Holgerson, is coming off the field, and the first question you ask them is, "Do you happen to know the Oklahoma Houston score?" I could actually probably ask that to Dana Holgerson if it's off camera. I could no, not. Only, only counts on camera. No, 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 no. Um, I feel like Dana Holgerson is one of the few coaches I feel like I could almost throw anything at him. Barry Odom, I don't know well enough to pull that. So, um, yeah. And I don't think that would reflect well on our bosses. That's basically because you saying, I'll give you $200 to, to, to give up your job security. <laughs> Stu, I have two little kids to feed. I understand. And... I mean, it is a good game, and you know, even if people are watching Oklahoma Houston, if most people you know watch more than one game at once, so you should definitely watch that as well. Uh, we'll do our. We're gonna have to start doing our second podcast um, a little earlier in the week because of your travel for these sideline games. So um, you have that to look forward to as well. Uh, as always, if you enjoy the Audible, you should subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends to do so as well. Give us a five-star rating, which I know you will, after Joel Klatt's impassioned uh, <laughs> monologue about Tim Tebow. We'll see you next time.